Coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to the VIP Jazz World Report. Groucho Marx once said, A woman is an occasional pleasure, but a cigar is always a smoke. And only in America can you go from being a high-profile lawyer to a high-profile cigar aficionado. And my guest did just that, with factories in Honduras and Nicaragua and his cigars receiving some of the highest ratings in the world. This man has helped take cigar smoking into its rightful place as one of life's luxurious indulgences available to one and all. It's my pleasure to welcome the very charismatic, the very charming, the very cool, but sometimes smoking hot, Mr. Rocky Patel. Welcome to the show, Rocky. Hi, Vip. Great to be here with you. I'm excited and looking forward to joining you and your uh, guest to educate them about the fine art of cigars. Well, you know, the, with the word Patel attached to your name... And then Rocky in front of it? It's contradictory. So tell me, Rocky is your street name. What's your real name? The real name is Rakesh, and I'm originally of Indian descent. And Rakesh means lord and ruler. Interesting. I did not know that. Now tell me, how did you get interested in cigars? Well, I was living in Los Angeles, California, and uh, I was practicing law there, finished law school there, Mm. and kind of got sidetracked into uh, the entertainment industry, Um, and we were on the sets of many of the uh, movies, and there's always time where people are waiting for lighting, sound, makeup, and I saw that most of the actors and friends uh, were smoking cigars. Uh, people like Schwarzenegger and Mel Gibson and Bruce Willis. And and then there was a private cigar lounge opened up next to my office in Beverly Hills called the Grand of Handle Room. And we would all get together there and uh, enjoy fine cigars in the evening and chat about life and sports and politics and everything else. And it became uh, a famous venue, very private. And uh, that's how I fell in love with cigars. But then what inspired you to make your hobby or your pastime, your business? Well, it started off as as basically a hobby. There was a young 24-year-old gentleman by the name of Philippe Zangi who enticed me to invest in making cigars uh, with him in uh, Honduras, and I kind of let him run with it, and we played around with it, and it was fun, and everybody and their sister was getting in the cigar business. It was the height of the boom, and it was a cool thing to do. And I really didn't know much about cigars or tobacco, and I let him run with it. And after two, three years, um, I saw that we were basically going to be out of business, just like everybody else. And I was too proud to uh, have a brand and let it go. So I spent a lot of time in Nicaragua, Honduras, Dominican, asking a lot of dumb questions, educating myself about everything from the farms to the curing to the fermentation, making thousands and thousands of blends to educate my palate. And uh, everyone told me, you'll never make it. You're not Latin. You're not Cuban. This is a business that's handed down through generations. And that's really what got my antlers up. And I said, you know what? I'm going to show these guys that uh, we're different. And uh, worked diligently, passionately, harder than the competition, uh, tried to come up with things and ideas that were outside the box, that were visionary, and I've been relentless since and never gave up. What's been your most visionary idea? Well, I think uh, when we came out with a cigar called The Edge, basically that cigar uh, was made without a band on at first, Mm. and it was 
presented in a hundred count box, and everyone said that's insane. Nobody's going to buy a hundred count box. Uh, it had a very raw character to it. Uh, it didn't have paper. It was just kind of had that factory feel of a wooden crate that's like a rugged wooden crate with a hundred cigars packed in it. And it was one some of our best work at the time. And we had tobaccos that we're using for that cigar that were very unique and distinct in the world because it was a country that's typically not known for tobacco from that region. And when we launched that cigar in this mm. wooden crate of a hundred count without a cigar band, it bucked the trend of the entire industry. And it was so unique and different than anything else out there. And soon it became the most popular cigar uh, in, in the entire premium cigar industry. Now, you know, certain things we enjoy like wine and whiskey, they conjure up a certain lifestyle image. What's, what's the cigar lifestyle image? Well, I mean, I certainly think that, you know, uh, cigars are enjoyed by all cross-sections of people, mm. whether you're a blue-collar worker, whether you're a CEO, whether you're a factory worker or a famous athlete. Uh, when you enjoy a cigar, it cuts through all races, religions. You make an automatic friend. And that's the beauty about it. And I personally think that cigars go very, very well with the single malt scotches with a great bottle of red wine, uh, with a bourbon or rum, uh, you know, depending on your choice. As long as the alcohol content is not overcoming your palate, I, I think you can enjoy cigars with anything. And we make cigars that are mild, mild to medium, medium to full. Uh, so depending on what you want to pair it with, uh, the, you know, it, it's a fine luxury item that kind of slows your life down, and it, it kind of pairs with a lot of different things, including food. Now, why, why is it mostly a masculine image, cigar smoking? Um, well, you know, it's interesting that typically, historically, you only saw images of men smoking cigar, people like Winston Churchill, famous, you know, um, military people, uh, actors, and you always saw women smoking small cigarellos or cigarettes. Right. And I think that club has since changed. It's amazing to me how many events now I do around the world where I see women smoking cigars. We had somebody here yesterday at our lounge in Naples, Florida, and a tiny, petite woman uh, that was about five foot tall, 100 pounds, and she was smoking a 6 by 60 For those of you that don't know, that's a 6-inch long cigar with a 60 ring gauge. And even I don't smoke a cigar that big. So, you know, I think people are realizing that this is something that can be enjoyed by uh, women, by men. Uh, and people are respecting the fact that it gives you time to slow your life down. In the day of Facebook and Twitter, when we're all flying and we're on, you know, we're texting and tweeting and, uh, you know, between paying our bills and doing our laundry and getting to work and dropping the kids off and doing all that. And, and, and beyond that, you're constantly bugged with your phone. You never get a time out. And a cigar allows you to get 45 minutes to an hour and a day where you can actually daydream. You can talk or engage in a beautiful conversation if you'd like. You can collect your thoughts. And that's the beauty about it. It slows things down and puts things in life in perspective. It's a sort of very philosophical moment, isn't it, when you're having a cigar? It absolutely is. It absolutely is. And I have never seen 
you know, I'm, I've been thousands and thousands of cigar lounges, met interesting people around the world, hundreds and thousands of them smoking cigars, and automatically you made a friend. I've never seen uh, going out to a lounge and somebody getting into an argument or getting get into a scuffle. Or, it just doesn't happen. And that's the beauty about it. It, it just brings, builds friendships. Now, for those people who want to start or who are beginners and want more information, um, I know we're on radio, but um, talk me through how to smoke a cigar, and then I'm going to try, and then then I'll tell you what I feel. And I got myself a, uh, what's it, the Rocky uh, Decade, one of your cigars. So you tell me how we should smoke a cigar. Well, I think the first thing you need to do is is discover whether you're a beginner, uh, an intermediate smoker, or somebody you know who's been smoking for quite some while. Mm. Let's assume that you're a beginner. You typically would like to start out with a milder cigar. So if you go to a tobacconist near you, you would ask them that you know I would like to start out with a beginner cigar. And typically they would say, well, you know, we'll get you something with a Connecticut shade, which is a cigar, believe it or not. With where the wrapper is grown in the state of Connecticut. And the wrapper is literally grown under cheesecloth, so it blocks out most of the ultraviolet rays so that the wrapper is very, very thin. And when you actually blend it in the cigar, the cigar is mild, smooth, and creamy. And, of course, you know, that's part of the blend. That's just one leaf in many. But you ask for a mild cigar. Then what you would do is you would choose a size, a preference in size. So a smaller size, typically popular, is called a Robusto. It's about five inches long, Mm. and it's got about a uh, 50-centimeter circumference. And so, uh, you know, you can choose that if you like something bigger, like a Churchill, which most people are familiar with, which is about six and a half inches long, and uh, the ring gauge is around uh, 40, you know, 46, something like that. Or you can have a very thin Lonsdale, which is more like around five and a half inches, but about 42 or 44 inches in circumference. Now, what's the what's the difference in these? I mean, why would you choose a smaller over a longer? Well, there are a number of things. The first thing is the bigger the cigar, the longer you, you're going to have time to smoke it because it's going to burn for a very long time. Right. That's the first thing. The second thing is that if you have a cigar that is a smaller ring gauge or that's a little shorter, there's less air going through the cigar. The less air going through the cigar, the cigar is going to burn a little hotter. The bigger the ring gauge, the bigger the cigar, there's more air drawn through it, and the cigar is going to burn cooler. So it's time. It's also the ring gauge as to how hot the cigar might burn, how cool the cigar might burn, and finally, how it feels in your hand. You should feel comfortable holding it. It should be something very natural. How does it feel in the mouth? If something is too big and doesn't feel right and you prefer something smaller. So it's a number of factors. I think once you just hold it, feel it, grab it, and then you slowly cut it. And typically what I recommend is taking a nice, you know, uh, scissor or, or, or most people have a guillotine. Right. Uh, and, and taking the guillotine and you want to cut just the very tip of the cigar. And when I say the tip, I mean barely get the cap, which goes around the oval top of the cigar, barely get that oval off. 
I see quite often people cut a quarter inch, an eighth of an inch. That's too much. You don't want to cut too deep into the cigar because then the cigar will unravel. You barely want to clip it, just the very top of it, just pinch it, literally pinch it off till you get a nice opening. I've seen and, people put a toothpick in there. Yeah, you know, there's two, that I don't recommend, but, mm. uh, you know, what I recommend is a guillotine cut, a straight cut, that's what we call it, or a punch. And you can, and the punch is a special cut, which basically creates a little punch in the cap of the cigar, and it allows you to smoke it. Now, the problem with the punch is that if the cigar is dried out a little bit, it's going to crack the cigar. The most important thing about cigars is keeping them in the perfect humidity and temperature. It's very, very important, unlike all other tobacco products, because cigars need to contain moisture and keep the moisture on the wrapper so they don't dry out and they don't crack, and that will affect the taste and also affect the actual capability. So of that's effectively like the oiliness that you sort of feel on the cigar. Am I right? Exactly. Correct. It preserves the oiliness, preserves the humidity, the suppleness, the softness, the viability of the cigar. How should I light it? Because there are gas lighters, you've got matchsticks, and then in some places I've seen little plinths of wood which you yeah, light. Yeah, well, you know, there are a couple ways with, uh, you know, uh, in, in the olden days, uh, people liked to take a match. Mm. and light it, but the matches have sulfur tips, and you smell the sulfur, which kind of uh, doesn't appeal to your, to your nose. So uh, they take cedar sticks, and then with the match, they would light the cedar stick, and with the cedar stick, you slowly toast um, the head of the cigar, and ultimately when you see the head kind of warming up, and you slowly rotate the cigar evenly in your hand while the flame is touching it, and then you would actually hold the cigar to your mouth, the flame would then come up to the head of the cigar and you'd start taking generous puffs, three or four puffs, slowly rotating the cigar till the entire cigar is perfectly lit and that's how you'd light the cigar. Now we have these beautiful butane lighters and the butane fuel is very, very clean. So if you have a nice butane lighter, like a Rocky Patel butane lighter, of course. Uh, I would take that like I'm doing right now I'd open it, and then I would slowly have the flame toast, holding it away from the cigar, not too close, about two and a half, three inches away, because you don't want to burn the wrapper or the cigar by holding it too close. Just allow the flame to slowly come up to the cigar, then hold the cigar literally about four inches away from the flame, puff at it gently, and the flame will rise up to the head of the cigar, and you'll get a beautiful even burn while you slowly rotate the cigar. Do you rotate the cigar as well? Correct. You rotate the cigar nicely and evenly so it burns perfectly. Now, cigarette smokers and cigar smokers, the, one of the other differences are in cigar smoke, you don't inhale. That's correct. You know, they're completely, completely different products. Mm -hmm. I mean... Uh, by the time I plant a seedling in the ground to the time I get a cigar in a box, it takes four to five years. 300 different hands touch the tobacco along the way. The 
Tobacco is then cured for a very long time. It's fermented for anywhere between two years up to five years so that all that rich fertilizer absorbed in the farm, the nitrogen, the boron, the potassium, the magnesium, you're trying to bleed that out. There is nothing added to cigars besides clean water, at least in our factory. And there are no chemicals added. There's no, uh, you know, any other ingredients added. It's a natural process with no machinery. So it's and almost this, organic, is that what you're saying? Exactly, it takes a lot of time to cultivate, to make the cigars. Well, cigarettes are quite different, as we all know, with all the additives and chemicals, and then of course it's rolled in paper, the tobacco's not fermented, it's basically dried on the stalk, uh, so it doesn't allow the time for all that uh, fertilizer to release from it, and you inhale, you never inhale cigars. Basically, when you smoke a cigar, you take a couple short puffs, maybe a bigger puff, you roll it around gently in your mouth between your cheeks and you release the smoke. And you get the flavor profiles like caramel, nuttiness, chocolate, white pepper, spice, uh, butter, you know, depends on what you're looking for mm. and depends on what kind of cigar you smoke. That's what you're looking for. Well, with cigarettes, it's more of a habit where you're inhaling it and just getting a nicotine buzz. There really isn't a whole lot that you're enjoying in flavor. Night and day difference, completely two different products. Uh, for those of you that have never, ever tried a cigar, please do not ever confuse it with a cigarette because it's not even in the same league. Is there a buzz from cigar? Well... You could get a buzz. People do when you're not used to smoking cigars. If you smoke a cigar, that's very, very heavy. So, you know, just like if you were to have a bourbon or a single malt scotch, let's see, if you're not used to an eyelid and you get a lot of peat and you get a lot of, you know, um, salt and uh, like a Lagavulin, for example, mention a brand, versus if you were drinking something like a smooth Macallan, uh, you know, there's a difference in the taste profile. Uh, if you're drinking a light Sauvignon Blanc with wine versus a big, bold Cabernet mm. or an Amarone. Uh, so the same principles apply to cigars. Uh, if you have an empty stomach, if you haven't eaten, uh, you know, that affects your taste profile. It also might affect whether you might get a slight buzz uh, from smoking it. What varieties should you keep at home? Well, I mean, me personally, yeah. or once. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, like in your variety of brands under the Rocky Patel. Uh, well, I mean, I, you know, I tend to like some richer cigars. Um, one of my favorites is the Decade. Um, the Decade received a, a, a 95 rating from Cigar Aficionado. I love the cigar because it's rich, it's complex, at the same time, it's elegant and well balanced. In the morning, I love to smoke a vintage 1990. Uh, which is a 12-year-old broadleaf wrapper from Honduras with 8-year-old Nicaraguan Dominican filler. That cigar is very nutty, very caramely, uh, smooth and balanced. Um, after a nice big meal or a steak or a heavy Italian dinner uh, with a bottle of red wine, then I would like to smoke something like a Platinum or a Royale, which has a lot more spice and pepper and, and hints of rich caramel and dark chocolate. So... Yeah, I I have my humidor filled with several different types of cigars from the Rocky Patel collection, and I certainly would recommend 
to your listeners to have a beautiful humidor with a variety of mild, medium, and full-bodied Rocky Patel cigars because depending on uh, the occasion, depending on where you are, depending on whether you're uh, having it after lunch or after a meal or if you're just in a beautiful place fishing or traveling, uh, you know, cigars fit every different occasion and taste profile. You know the problem these days, though? Uh, smoking is so restricted that it's so hard uh, to find uh, great places where you can sit and smoke. And we're going to get to that part of the show later. And I know you've got your um, the, the Burn Club in, in Naples, Florida. Um, but for those who have cigars at home, how should you store them? I think, uh, you know, to go out to your local tobacconist and get a great humidor, you don't have to spend a lot of money on a humidor. You mm. can get humidors anywhere from $100 up to, you know, 1500 to $2,000. But if you just get a nice humidor, the key to getting a good humidor is making sure it's got a nice seal, first of all, and to make sure it's got a good humidification system. And, uh, you know, many of these humidors are made in China, and they have hygrometers, which actually measure the amount of humidity in them, right. and they really don't work. So I recommend getting a digital hygrometer. They're not that expensive. They're quite inexpensive, and they will truly give you an accurate read of the amount of humidity in your humidor. The second thing that's important is to make sure you have the right humidification system. And there, there, there I recommend these new Bovita packs which are the scientific packs that are made that control the temperature and humidity, especially the humidity, at 70% and keep, make sure the humidity, the, the humidity in the, the humidor is always at 70%. Uh, so I would recommend getting a nice humidor, uh, getting a hygrometer, and then uh, making sure you have some of these Bobita packs to control the humidity in them. I've had friends who've stored cigars in fridges. Yeah, that's the worst thing you can do. You know, most people think that you should stick them in a the fridge. That, that's the worst thing you can do because what the refrigerator does, it actually dries out all the humidity in the cigar, and your cigar will crack. Uh, it will not taste good. So if you are absolutely broke and can't afford a humidor, then what I recommend is getting a nice Tupperware box, putting your cigars on one side of the Tupperware box, taking a glad sandwich bag, putting a small, um, you know, uh, putting a small a wet sponge napkin? in it, a wet napkin or a sponge, I prefer a sponge, sealing it, taking a fork and putting holes in, in the little glad sandwich bag, putting the sandwich bag on one side, make sure the sponge is not dripping wet, mm. it's just wet. Putting it on one side, the cigars on one side, and keep it away from the sun in a dark place in your home, and you'll have your homemade humidor. Now, when I tell my friend that he's been putting it in the wrong place, um, the other thing I've seen him do is take a dry cigar out and dip it in some brandy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, have you, have you seen that? I've seen that quite often. Uh, you know, I mean, you could do it. First of all, a dry cigar is not good. And not a dry cigar is a dead anybody. cigar, am I right? It, it, exactly right. It's dead. It kills about 75% of the flavor profile mm. of the cigar. It doesn't taste any good. But I've even seen people that have taken a perfectly humid, perfectly conditioned cigar and dip it in cognac. And people enjoy that. I guess if you're looking for a different flavor profile, 
the taste of cognac on your lips, along with the smoke, it's personal preference. But uh, we don't recommend it, but I do see people, uh, you know, uh, enjoying it that way. Now, if you smoke at home, and you obviously would be experienced in this, how do you get rid of the smell? Do you light a well, candle? I mean, I, I typically smoke in ventilated areas. Mm. Uh, mm. You know, I, if I do smoke at home uh, inside, it's typically in an area where I have good ventilation or I have an exhaust fan or I keep the patio sliders open. Um, I don't like to smoke uh, where there's not much ventilation and I don't recommend it because it's not enjoyable. So I, I built a little room in my house with great ventilation where uh, when it's rainy out, if it's cold out, we live in Florida, of course, we can smoke all the time. In New York, it's very, very difficult uh, because of the laws and regulations by your, uh, by your mayor yeah, there. Tell me about it. But, um, you know, uh, I would recommend to try and find a local lounge or a club or most people have converted their garages. Now, of course, in New York City, you don't have garages, but if you live in the suburbs, uh, you know, they've built a man cave either in the basement or in the garage, and that's also a good venue to enjoy a cigar besides your backyard or patio in the summer. Hmm. But then um, I guess lighting a candle is not going to do any good. Not really. I mean, there are sprays out there. There are candles out there. It depends. If you're just smoking by yourself, it's not a problem. But if you have a gang of friends of about four or six people and, uh, you know, it's a smaller room, mm. then the candle's not going to help. But if you have a big room with four or six friends with a window or two that you can crack open, certainly there are candles that you can buy out there that eliminate the odor and help with the odor, and there are sprays that help with that too. Well, now I'm going to try a Rocky Patel decade and see, let me, and I'm going to tell you what it feels like, all right? So that I've cut it, great. but I've... I already have one going here. Oh, I'm gonna, I've got to catch up. Uh, okay. Along with the little scotch? Uh, no, it's working hours, unfortunately. All right, so here we go. It, it's, um, you were talking about the oiliness. I can feel that, so it, that's, a, that's a good sign, right? Yes, and you can see the sheen and the oiliness on it. And, um, and um, you know, the cigar is just, uh, should be a very nice draw. Okay, right? well, I don't have a Rocky Patel lighter. I've got a DuPont, so I guess that's the second best thing. There's so, nothing wrong with that. Sorry, just so and, long. you know, another important thing, Vic, uh, Vic to remember is that uh, when you cut the cigar and mm. you pull on it, you should get a nice, easy draw. And, now, uh, the draw being the, the sort of the, the, the passage of air and smoke. The passage of air and smoke when you pull on the cigar that goes through, you should not be struggling. It should not be tight where you, you know, it actually hurts the muscles in your mouth to pull on the cigar. And many cigars, especially Cuban cigars, mm. are really, really bad because their construction is so poor that 50% of the cigars are what we call plugged or you can't draw them on them or that have a very tight draw. And we are meticulous in our construction to avoid that problem. So we actually have what we call draw test machines in our factory. There are machines that actually measure the amount of air flowing through the cigar. So before the outside wrapper is put on a cigar, there's a suction cup that pulls on the open end of the cigar, and it measures the amount of air flowing through it. If it's too light or too tight, 
We destroy the cigar and don't allow the wrapper to be put on it. A hundred percent of every one of our cigars that we make goes through a draw test machine. Most factories don't use them or have them, and if they do, they only draw test two to three percent of these cigars. So we're meticulous about that, and it's a major problem in cigars that come from Cuba. Well, let me try. I can hear the ping of the DuPont. <coughs> a little too much. Um, it's got a very deep, rich, and creamy texture. Yep, it should be. Um, and, uh, slight fruit. Would it be a cherry? Yeah, there's some uh, caramel, cherry, cocoa. The fruit comes from a little bit of that coast. And now I'm getting like a little nutty finish. Yes. But it's very pleasant. Now, why was it called Decade? Is that because you were 10 years in the business? That's correct, to celebrate uh, a decade of being in the business because nobody ever thought we would last. Um, we had a famous saying, something like, uh, I forget exactly what it is, but five years ago, this is good. They thought we'd never make it. Ten years ago, they thought we'd never last, and now we're right where we belong, in your hand. Well, talking about hand, I like my cigars that have been rolled on the thighs of big Latino women. Is that the same case in your factory? Well, you know, that's a myth. Uh, it is? It's, yes, it's a complete myth. Uh, well, first of all, the, the saying was on virgins, <laughs> uh, and I don't know how many virgins there are down there uh, in the factory. But <laughs> having said that, uh, I, you can't actually roll cigars on the thighs. Uh, what typically happens and where that saying came from is they actually take the leaves of the tobacco right. and in order, to in order to identify the color or sort, the texture of the leaf, the women stack those leaves on their thighs. And that's where that old adage of making cigars on the thighs came from. I was going to ask you where I could find them. What's the virgins or the thighs? Both. <laughs> Both. <laughs> now, what's a blended cigar? Now, most cigars typically are blended. And what that means, uh, imagine if you're cooking in your kitchen and you have a recipe and you're using garlic and cinnamon and, you know, parsley or whatever ingredient you want to use for whatever dish you make. Right. Well, in cigars, each country of origin has farms. In those farms, you have different seed varietals, many different types of seed varietals. And you have sun-grown tobacco and shade-grown tobacco. So you have tobaccos that come from Nicaragua, Honduras, Dominican Republic, Costa Rica, Ecuador, Panama, Connecticut, Africa, Cameroon, uh, many other, Brazil, many other countries. So in those countries, you have different farms with different regions. So there are hundreds and hundreds of varietals of different tobaccos, and each tobacco has a different flavor profile, and it also looks different. So when we make a cigar, if I'm trying to make a mild cigar versus a full-body cigar, you're going to see a lighter Connecticut wrapper typically on the outside of the cigar, mm -hmm. and then the blend, or what we call the ingredients that make up the guts of the cigar, are going to be 
typically milder tobaccos from milder regions like Dominican Republic, etc. If I decide to make a fuller-bodied cigar, well, typically you're going to see wrappers from places like Nicaragua and Brazil or Mexico that are richer, that are spicier, that are pepperier. And the guts of the cigar, what we call and define as filler, you're going to see tobaccos from countries like Honduras, again, Nicaragua, Ecuador, Panama. So it, it depends on what type of cigar you're trying to make. And depending on that varietal and taste profile, you will typically blend tobaccos from different parts of the world, different farms, different seeds. And so you can actually work backwards. Part. You can actually work backwards. So if you want a particular type of smoke or a particular type of taste, so if you want the nuttiness or you want uh, a certain amount of like the, the cherry that I felt in, in the decade, uh, you can then go and, and, and see which country produces the leaf that tastes like that. Exactly. After you gain much experience, and we're all learning on a constant basis, like mm-hmm. winemakers are, you develop a palate and you develop instincts where you know what a particular plant from a particular farm from a particular country or region is going to taste like. And then you start with those leaves to start making your blend. And once you've made a blend, and sometimes I'll make 150 to 200 blends before I choose one. And then we choose that one particular blend. You'll change one leaf at a time to identify the taste differences. You might change the wrapper or the binder that goes under the wrapper. And you're constantly playing with that cigar. And that cigar is evolving over six months till you identify the perfect taste that you're looking for in that cigar. So once you have this certain blend that you want for that certain um, character, then you make, I guess, different sizes of cigars, from a Churchill to a Robusto? That's correct, you know, and then you start deciding how you're going to market the cigar, how you're going to package the cigar, what sizes you're going to release in that cigar, and that same blend tastes differently from size to size because if it's got a bigger ring gauge, there's more air going through the cigar. If it's got a smaller ring gauge, there's less air going through the cigar. If it's shorter versus longer, you know, it's burning a little faster. Uh, so uh, it all depends on all these factors. So uh, it's a work in process. Uh, anytime we want to launch a particular brand, it takes up to two years between the blending, between the packaging, the marketing, the sizes we're going to make, uh, the printing. Um, and we like to make our boxes so they're pieces of art and they're unique and different and distinct and really catch the attention of the consumer. So before you invented Rocky Patel, which cigars were you smoking? Well, like every beginner, I started smoking Macanudos. And then after that, I was smoking Davidoffs, I was smoking Fuentes, I was smoking Avos, uh, you know. Uh, but there are cigars that I do smoke now uh, besides mine, because just like anything else, we don't all like to go to the same restaurant all the time. We don't like to drink the same bottle of wine. So um, I do typically try most cigars made by my competitors, and there are a few that I like more than often. You've come up with some very inventive names. How, what, what gives you the inspiration when you're starting a new cigar? Where do you get your um, ideas from? In the shower. But uh, that's, the, that's the toughest part of 
launching a brand, mm. uh, a brand and, and trying to identify that brand and make it different than all the other brands out there because there are so many Cuban names and so many other names out there. So Edge, I thought, was, like I mentioned earlier in the interview, quite clever and different. Uh, Decade was there to celebrate our 10th year in business. We have recently come up with a new project that we're going to be launching in about a month called Prohibition. And that is to bring light of the fact that the federal and the state governments, uh, especially under this administration, are treating premium cigars like old-time prohibition whiskey and alcohol. So to bring light to that and point that out to the consumers that our industry is under I want you to talk about that in a few minutes, but right before we get there, is there such a thing as cigar etiquette? Well, there definitely is cigar etiquette. You know, I think the most important thing is uh, cigar smokers don't like to go in and invade and and smoke cigars where there are non-smokers who are offended by us. Uh, We will be more than happy to put out our cigars or move unless we were there somewhere outside already and they came and sat next to us knowing that it's a place where people typically smoke. Uh, You don't blow your smoke at the partner or uh, neighbor that's sitting next to you, even though he's smoking cigars, you try to blow the smoke up in the air. Um, I think uh, it's very important that we take care of our cigars and treat them with respect and store them uh, carefully and properly. Uh, That's very, very important. Again, cutting and lighting and the art of cutting and lighting and having the right accessories for them uh, is very, very important. And, of course, sharing. So, you know, always bring cigars to share with your friends. You know, one thing I find, the um, like especially around the, the New Jersey, New York area, uh, cigar smoking seems to be done in all these little, you know, hidden shops which are dark and musty. Um, the environment doesn't lead you to, you know, enjoy uh the whole concept of smoking a cigar and actually in, in in some of the lounges they don't even allow you to buy a drink or even have coffee because then they have to apply for a food license and there's so many um obstacles to just enjoying a simple cigar and and that I want to take that back now to your FDA thing and then this whole the way this administration's handling this issue so tell us a little bit about that Yeah, I mean, typically, you know, what happens with most of these shops, uh, especially in states like New York and New Jersey, uh, the local regulations don't allow you to serve a beverage, an alcoholic beverage, uh, and unfortunately that... What's the logic behind that? I have, there is no logic. It makes absolutely no sense to me. Uh, You know, it's something the government came up with. I don't know whether it's a big—I guess they feel like if you can't smoke in a tavern or a bar, uh, you shouldn't be allowed to smoke in a shop that serves alcohol because it competes with a bar. That's one one of the logical arguments that makes no sense. The other logical argument that was made by uh, the fast food chains like the McDonald's and the Applebee's and all these groups is, well, you know— uh, if you can't smoke in our venues, then why can you smoke somewhere else where they're serving food, which makes no logical argument. But typically, uh, this is done by uh, the local city councils, uh, and and so it's very difficult for shops. 
The other problem is that most of these shops don't have great ventilation, and they ought to have better ventilation. And then finally, I think, you know, cigar smoking uh, should be something that's enjoyed by everybody, young, old, women, etc. So uh, we've created that concept in a lounge called Burn by Rocky Patel in Naples, Florida, where we've actually, instead of the dark leather and cherry wood and a bunch of old men sitting around sipping scotch uh, in a corner uh, smoking a cigar, we've created an environment that really transcends you into a journey. It's a mix between Cuba, Morocco, Asia, India, with a lot of modern elements. It's fun. It's hip. It's cool. We have live music every night. We have a full bar with a ton of single malt scotches, rums, etc. We have a DJ that comes in after 10. The furniture is not, it's, it's very interesting with the posteries sort of all type and all types of cool uh, little, uh, you know, a niche, niche architectural furniture and fun stuff that makes it fun for women to come in, young people to come in, uh, mature people to come in. And you have people dancing on one side of the bar, and on the other side you have people engaging in conversation. Well, all that sounds like a dream because you have none of that here. Yes, it's unfortunate. Well, luckily in Florida, we're allowed to smoke inside and have a bar. So we're lobbying for that in many other states. And I, my goal personally is to at least get these lounges open in the states that allow it throughout the country so that people realize that cigar smoking is fun, it's enjoyable, it's cool, it's something you can do uh, you know, on a Friday, Saturday, and dance while you smoke a cigar. No, but it's also a choice, out. right? It's also a choice. If you, if you don't smoke cigars, then don't go to a cigar-smoking venue. Absolutely. And we spent a quarter million dollars on our HVAC system. So every 60 seconds, fresh air comes in, the old air goes out. And that's why women love it, because when they go back home, their hair and their clothes don't smell like smoke. So it's important for people that have lounges to, to pay attention to having a good air quality system also. Now, you're actively involved in the FDA regulation, right? I am. You know, it's been taking up a lot of our time in the past few years. Uh, unfortunately, for those of you that don't know, the definition of a premium cigar under the TTB tax code is very, very broad. So it includes products like Philly Blunts, Swisher Sweets, Blunt Wraps, all the stuff that, you know, the kids were grape watermelon flavored that you find at 7-Eleven Circle K in the inner city that they put marijuana in and smoke it. Uh, a lot of the cigarette companies, they took their cigarettes um, when regulation came down on cigarettes. Uh, change the size, put a filter on a tip on it, called it a little cigars. So that's the stuff Congress was after. And we became the unintended consequence of regulation. So what we've since done is come up with a pure definition of what a premium cigar ought to be, which is 100% natural tobacco rolled by hand, wrapper, binder, and filter, uh, filler, no filters, no tips. Uh, and We've asked for an exemption from FDA regulation because we believe that there are no youth access issues. Uh, children and kids don't smoke cigars, uh, first, because of the price point. Secondly, you have to be over 18 or 21 years old to buy a cigar. Cigars are not habit-forming. They're not something you smoke as a habit. You smoke them to celebrate on occasion, whether it's a football game, whether you're sitting around friends. So they're very different products, and, of course, you don't inhale. So 
Uh, we're trying to educate Congress. We have a bill pending right now in Washington, D.C., asking for an exemption for premium cigars from FDA regulation. Um, and we're also working with the FDA and have asked the FDA in our comments to treat premium cigars very differently than all of the tobacco products. And then what, what's their viewpoint? Well, we're going to find out in about six months. Uh, so we're hoping we get a favorable ruling, but knowing these type of regulatory agencies, you never know, because there's so much misinformation from people like the American Cancer Society, American Lung Association, tobacco-free kids. I mean, if I showed you the propaganda of misinformation, we should be able to sue them for libel and slander, because they just... They want to abolish tobacco from the face of the planet, and they lump everything uh, under one hood uh, without making intelligent research and, and choices. Now, coming back to you, has your journey in Rocky Patel, has, been, has it been smooth, or have you had a few rocky bumps? No pun intended. Well, we've had a lot of bumps. Uh, you know, there were times when I first started uh, and I got product because you'd go down there. And before we had our own factories and we were having other people make the cigars, you make a great blend. And then when you get the ultimate delivery of the product, it was nowhere clear, uh, nowhere like the blend you made. Very inconsistent, both in looks and construction. And there are times I, I, I had my last $100,000 that I spent. What am I going to do with these cigars? And you want to roll into the corner and cry. And we thought we'd never make it. There were very, very tough, difficult times. Uh, so we fought and we fought and we went out on the road, visited 600 cities in 700 days, built relationships with customers, with consumers, educated them. So I've had at least three or four different lives in this business to try and make it. And finally, when we had control of our own production and control of our own quality, uh, we were able to go out and and generate the loyalty from the consumer base and also from the retail base uh, to, to put us in the and put us where we are now. Now you are the brand, and the brand is you. And and you, you know, um, from what I understand, uh, you, you travel almost like 300 days of the year. Yes, I travel quite a bit. You know, it's a very interesting business because we don't sell to the WalMarts and the Kmart's and have massive distribution. We have about 2,000 mom-and-pop retailers that are uh, purveyors of fine tobacco who sell our cigars, and we go and do events. Uh, we promote our cigars. We do black-tie dinners. We can do in-store promotions. We engage with the consumer to teach them about the art of cigar making, how cumbersome it is, how labor-intensive it is. We teach them and educate them about our blends. And so this takes a lot of time. We take 2,000 people a year down to our factory on factory trips where we spend time with them to show them the farms, the curing, the fermentation, the strict quality control standards at the factories. So all this takes up an enormous amount of time. Of course, I'm not alone. I have my brother, I have my cousin, my brother Nish, who works with me, my cousin Nimish. Uh, we have Dave Bullock. Uh, who's another executive VP at our office, and many others at our company, a lot of our sales uh, executives that are on the road who work relentlessly to uh, educate the consumer. And that's been really the key to our success is spending time to educate the consumer about the quality of our products and the consistency of our cigars. What does the future hold for you? Well, we would like to expand Rocky Patel into a premium luxury lifestyle company. 
and hence we are working on uh, a couple wines. We're working on a bourbon. We're working on a single malt scotch. Uh, we would like the consumers to feel that anytime they get a Rocky Patel product mm. that is a luxury lifestyle product, they're simply getting the best quality at a great price. And on that note, Rocky, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Really enjoyed it. And to those out there, enjoy the wonderful art form and love that we call cigars. Thanks, Rocky. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Your comments and your follow are so very welcome on my Twitter account at Vip Jaswell and my Facebook page, The Vip Jaswell Report. A special shout-out of thanks to my wonderful team, William Sanchez and Rick Buser. I wish you a wonderful evening tonight with your family and loved ones. And until next Sunday, have a productive and a very happy week ahead.